Support for WYXR comes from Farm Burger. Farm Burger is your neighborhood grass-fed burger joint located in the East Atrium of Crosstown Concourse, offering custom grass-fed burgers, seasonal salads, and more. Farm Burger takes pride in their grass-fed beef and partners with local farmers such as Home Place Pastures, Bonnie Blue Farm, and Marmaloo Farms. For more information, visit farmburger.com. Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. I'm the Memphis Metropolis host. And this week, we've got another program kind of centered on Whitehaven, on the Whitehaven community, which makes a lot of sense since there's so much going on in Whitehaven now. And my guest this week is Jason Farmer, who's the uh, founder and CEO of BLP Film Studios, which is building a a really large and impactful um, facility, a complex, really a campus in Whitehaven that we're going to be talking about today. So Jason, welcome to Memphis Metropolis. Emily, thank you for having me on Memphis Metropolis this morning. So I'm not from Memphis originally, but I love Memphis and all its neighborhoods. So I always like to ask people, um, you know, where they grew up. And I think I read um, that you grew up in Foothomes. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. So um, up until I was about eight or nine years old at 413 Vance Apartment C in the uh, uh, Foothomes Housing Projects, uh, uh, born to teenage parents uh, at that time, probably fifth, sixth generation poverty, um, but very hopeful and inspiring parents and fully committed to the American dream that, you know, if you work hard and educate yourself and pray and treat people right, good things will happen for you. Yeah, there's so much happening in that neighborhood. I go through there pretty often, that whole South City redevelopment. It's um, looks completely different. It's amazing. Yeah, it, it is. It's a, uh, you know, it's literally in the heart of downtown. And, um, you know, it course there was always the the that struggle to have the balance of redeveloping a neighborhood while not displacing the residents that are there so i think there have been some very um unique developments there that are mixed use uh mixed income um and i think the, the city county uh and, and the planning and development around that project has done a very good job in terms of maintaining that balance I agree with that. I've done a couple of programs. I did a program on the, you know, the renovation of the, um, of the NAACP building. You know, they had a renovation and it had a whole facade. It looks beautiful. And also there's Mm -hmm. a a, a building in there called the Griggs Business College. um, And that's, has a very interesting history. I won't go down that. That's a rabbit hole. I won't go down now, but it's at um, Advance and um, Danny Thomas 
that someone has bought and is trying to redevelop a historically important business college. So the okay. the um so did you and so did your family then move to Whitehaven after that? Well, actually, we moved out to the area um, Westwood off of Horn Lake and Levi. Okay, and um, we ended up uh, going to school in uh, Whitehaven at Lanier Junior High School and Whitehaven High School. We we were transfer students at Whitehaven High School. Um, we lived in Whitehaven. Um, lived in Westwood, and at the time, didn't realize we were. Um, part of the desegregation of this um, Memphis City Schools at that time because we lived in Westwood, um, which is on the far west side of Whitehaven. Um, But we were bused to elementary school, fifth and sixth grade, out to Oak Haven Elementary. And at that time, it really didn't dawn on us that there were busloads and busloads and busloads of primarily black children being going out to Oak Haven and Oak Haven at that time was uh, primarily white. Well, I was going to ask, cause I think white uh, Oak Haven is now primarily black. So it was white at one time. Of course, white Haven was probably at the time uh, a lot more white than it is now. Yes. So that's, um, that's became our journey into white Haven. Um, Lanier Junior High School, and then as transfer optional school students to Whitehaven High School. So I have two brothers and two sisters, and we all graduated from Whitehaven High School. Okay. Well, there's so much great stuff happening in Whitehaven right now. And I had um, a couple weeks ago, I had on Jason Sharif from Respect the Haven about all the Mm -hmm. uh, projects he's trying to lead up. And uh, just really, I feel like there has... There's Whitehaven's finally getting the attention and investment that it needs um, since it's such a big part of Memphis, such an important community. So, um, so, so um, I want to, I really want to talk about, you know, the development of the, you know, the physical place, but, um, but just tell me a little bit about the company, you know, BLP studios, um, you know, what services you offer, what you do, and then um, how you got, I didn't get the impression from reading a little about you that you, you've been in that business, the film business your whole life. So how you kind of got into the film industry and then what, what BLP um, does now. So I guess the Genesis, um, my wife and I, um, Audrey, we have a son, we have two children. Uh, our son, Jason, is now a senior at Morehouse College. Um, he's 21, and we have a daughter, Allison, who's 16. When Jason was about, uh, I don't know, 9, 10 years old, he started saying he wanted to be a filmmaker. And, and actually, um, uh, Dr. Malone was the principal at uh, Bellevue Middle School at that time, and um, Jason started expressing a keen interest in filmmaking. You know, he was in middle school, and he did a few things there, and uh, you know, just kind of bought him a camera at flea market one Saturday. It was like really wasn't it had no intention of investing in that. It was like, yeah, it's a it's a passing fancy. Uh, fantasy. By the time you get to high school, you, you know you have a realigned focus, and we'll really focus on what it is that you want to do. Well, he 
left Bellevue um, and um, went on to middle college high school here at CBU. And when we started laying out the programming and like, this is what you're, you're going to be prepared for when you leave middle college high school, it's like, what is it that you want to do? And again, he repeated the he wanted to be a filmmaker. So at that point, you know, he's in high school. We're like, we need to really figure this out so we can get him on this on this pathway to what this looks like. Um, I had come out of a law enforcement, uh, um, government sector background. My wife's a career educator. Um, you know, our peer groups, doctor, lawyers, educators, uh, pilots. So we just didn't really have immediate access to people that were in the industry. Um, so literally one day out of frustration, I posted on social media that anybody in the space, if you would reach out, because I have some questions about how we prepare him for this industry. Um, when I worked in the government sector, uh, one of my primary focuses was research. Um, so. I began to research the industry after some friends reached out to said, look, there are some viable pathways for him and this is what needs to happen. And I found myself starting to volunteer in the space to learn and uh, to, to go alongside him side by side with him on this journey so we could figure this out together. Um, and in that research, some things started to, by now we're approximately 10 years ago. So we're mid 2000s. Um, 2009-2010 at this point the uh, proliferation of the streaming platforms was starting to take hold Um, the streaming platforms uh, Amazon, Netflix uh, NBC Universal the various entities that are now populating the the media landscape they were really starting to uh, change the traditional Hollywood model by the mid 2000s. Um, those companies started to come into existence around 2000. Um, and ironically, I guess they were kind of born around the same time as Jason because Jason was born in 2001. Um, so I guess he's been on this lifelong parallel to be in this industry. But what happened is it shifted the dynamics so much so that the traditional markets for, um, film and TV, had been historically L.A., um, New York, um, and more recently, um, Atlanta. That was kind of like the, you know, in in Chicago to a smaller degree. The proliferation of the streaming platforms changed the way the world consumes content. So growing up, for us, the the fall TV season, kind of like new TV shows came out in the fall. Yep. In the and then you have the holiday season. And then in January, you had the reruns yep. while the new shows were being shot for the next that fall. That was when I was growing and, up, too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then the summer there was, was only, just kind of hot. There was only a handful of channels to pick from. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, we, we went from those traditional three channels. Then the cable started to proliferate in, in the 80s. And you had like 25 or 50 channels. And now, you know, I think most people probably have access to upwards of 150, 200 channels, you know. Um, But to go from a a platform with three to five channels to platforms with 200 plus channels, that's a lot of content. Yeah. That that has to be that has to fill those those time slots 
on a 24 hour basis. You know, television also went off at midnight. Yep, it did. What's <laughs> uh, about the time? You know, the kids laugh about that when we tell them that you know you kind of knew that television was going off for the night. And they played the national anthem and there was this flag. And then the TV just went off. Plus, yeah. there's the mobile, the mobile only platforms. I mean, yeah, there's. It yeah. completely transformed. Well, interestingly, so one, I don't think we've ever met a person, but one of the things we have in common is, um, you know, a long time, um, been involved a long time, almost since the beginning in Indy Memphis. And um, mm-hmm. so I know you were instrumental in, you know, the Black Creators Forum, um, helping that start. And I'm guessing that those, you know, that was all part of your sort of investment in, um, in this new business. It, 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 you're exactly right. That was all part of the process. Um, um, being on the board at Indy Memphis and, and working with several events there over the years. Also the International Black Film Festival in Nashville. Um, I continue to be a part of that. Um, you know, the uh, uh, those two platforms were critical Um the Indy Memphis is a Memphis-based platform. IBFF is the only black film festival in the state of Tennessee. So the as, as the industry was, was transforming um, and, and the, the need for content became a huge driver, um, it opened up other markets, uh, non-traditional markets, Memphis, uh, New Mexico, New Orleans, all of these places now became viable because the the space in the traditional L.A. and New York markets are, number one, prohibitively expensive. Um, and in L.A., they have an, a zone referred to as the TMZ, the 30-mile zone, where historically all of the production in L.A. occurred in that 30-mile zone. Well, when then now needing to bring many more studios online, there's just no space left in the TMZ. Um, and it allowed, also because of the portability of the content, it allowed markets to grow outside of those areas. So we looked at Memphis and, and the traditional uh, entertainment and music legacy that's here in Memphis, also the rich cultural history that's here in Memphis, um, and Memphis being um, the largest predominantly black metropolitan area in the country, uh, it made sense to base a studio uh, campus here uh, with the express, express purpose of creating uh, content by BIPOC, which is black indigenous and people of color, content creators, and also women creators. Um, creating that content here with, a, uh, with the goal of uh, general market consumption. So all of those things kind of culminated um, as his research was coming on, as Jason was uh, having these uh, expressed interest in participating in this industry. It was like, okay, now it's a it's a sustainable, viable industry. There will be a place for him as a content creator. Um, there'll be a need for the product that he's making. And, um, that's so interesting. That's so interesting that you, um, you know, the idea that you know your child would express a career interest, and not only do you change careers, but you know, 
start a whole nother company. That's just, I love it. So it's, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you have children, but I do not. Sometimes (laughs) you do not. Okay. Well, you know, Emily, I guess prior to being married and and, and having children, you know, it's just kind of you're self-focused and and rightly so. And, And then when you get married, the hierarchy changes. And then when children come, the hierarchy changes and, you know, you find yourself in this role where your primary your primary role is as a provider and supporter and an enabler. Um, and so, you know, you do all these things. And um, oh, I, I totally uh, I totally get it. I still think it's unusual yeah. to actually start. I mean, you know, start a company, but that but look, I mean, yeah. but I, but but all the market analysis you described makes perfect. I mean, it's a perfect. Memphis is a perfect location for it. And I mean, all of the things you, you mentioned. So, so what's the, um, so what's the, tell me about the, um, I mean, I read about the, so this is at, on Elvis Presley Boulevard. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I want to talk in a minute about, you know, why you chose to locate in Whitehaven and a little bit more about their neighborhood. So, but what's, how big is the campus? Um, what's going to be on it? Um, what are the different uses you're going to accommodate? How many buildings? Give me some of those real estate details. Um, so this phase of the project is uh, 100 acres. Um, it's at the intersection of Elvis Presley and Holmes Road is where it starts. Uh, as you're traveling south on Elvis Presley, it goes down to Scaife Road, which is uh, just about fourth of a mile before you get to State Line Road. Okay. Um, if you turn back west on Holmes Road, it extends down to the railroad track. Um, so it's about a half a mile, three-fourths of a mile to the uh, east-west. Um, and all of the trees that you see behind the Super Walmart, there's a Super Walmart on, the, on that corner right there. So that's, um, that's the extent of the property. Um, the property will, um, the density plan that we've submitted and been approved by the, uh, city council, county commission and the land use control board. Um, we have, uh, initially 12 sound stages. Uh, we have density that can accommodate up to 20 sound stages. There will be executive office buildings there, uh, post-production facilities, um, We'll have mill shops, uh, storage warehouses, um, the ability to shoot um, outdoor sinks or uh, outdoor shooting uh, requirements. Um, there is a an event center, um, uh, a hotel space uh, for the campus. It's also included in the in the proposals. Um, adjacent to the what we call the main campus, um, that that is a security location. So those facilities will be gated and guarded 24 hours a day. Um, there is an adjacent facility that um, will off, will house uh, a minor medical clinic, um, a police substation. Uh, there will be restaurants, retail spaces there, uh, additional executive office spaces, and banking facilities there. So it will be a fully supported studio campus with multiple buildings, um, multiple working areas, also um, 
some areas that we'll use for um, housing. So we have uh, on the plans for up to 30 houses. Some of the housing will be used for on-location shooting um, for shows that may evolve, such as, uh, you know, Friends-type show that was shot on, on location in, in housing or uh, similar type shows like that. So I mean, this is all on that 100 acres. Yes. And and are you, is this going to be done in phases? How How are you, you haven't had the ribbon cutting yet, right? No. So we're still working through the rebate and incentive process. Um, we're in talks now with various production and streaming partners. And the studio campus will come. Uh, the studio campus will come online uh, in phases um, as we add on production and uh, streaming capacity. We'll add on more sound stages. Uh, the entire project, once it breaks ground, should be completed in 24 to 30 months. Oh, the whole thing is going to be done in 24 to 30. Okay. That's that's Correct. pretty fast. You know, building, um, though the property is large, you know, building sound stages is not a, um, you know, it, it's... Uh, Probably a lot of metal buildings. I, I, I don't mean to make it sound unattractive. It's, but. it's, it's a... Well, no, it's not metal. It's it's a lot, but it's just a it's a much easier process. It's not like building apartments, because essentially it's a very complicated warehouse that's temperature and climate and sound control. Right. Um, right. But for the for the the most part, it's a huge, vast opening with support facilities around it. So that explains some of the speed of bringing it online, as opposed to say a housing development or or an apartment development. I get it. So, and who are the, um, who, it, this sounds like it could, you know, attract content creators from all over. Um, are you, um, I, I mean, first and foremost, your son, but, um, but so who do you anticipate being the, you know, the users and the clients of, of the facility? So there's, there's a couple of things. We'll have production and streaming partners that will be the traditional uh, production companies, streaming platforms that are that are uh, that are in existence right now, but the content creators, you're exactly right. They'll come from around the world. So the studio was never developed uh, to be uh, location specific. Um, the market that we're serving is for content creators that are on their you know second to maybe fourth project. They're working projects that have budgets from about five million dollars to twenty-five or thirty million dollars. Um, those are additional demographics that um, have a difficulty finding space um, to create their content in a traditional Hollywood landscape in L.A., New York, Atlanta. So uh, that was another market that we were targeting when we developed the uh, facility here. Um, so. We have, um, it'll take about, you know, we're probably 20 years behind in terms of building out the infrastructure, uh, very similar to what's going on with, with the Ford plant that's under development right now. You have the primary plant, and then you have like all these supplemental businesses that will evolve in support of the campus. Uh, we'll have direct jobs that will be uh, created or impacted by the development of the studio, and then there'll be indirect jobs as well. So we'll find uh, camera companies or grip companies or just different supply elements that it takes to support the campus 
those camp, those types of businesses will pop up um, in the Whitehaven area and other areas of the city um, that is strategically, uh, you know, feasible for them to locate their businesses there. But there will be that kind of ancillary build on to support the studio campus. And it will allow us to move from an ecosystem where projects come to Memphis, kind of if they're really Memphis centric, um, to us being able to really just develop any type of project because we have the facilities here to create the whatever environment that we need to create. And I'm guessing you'll have people, a staff that can, if, if some of these content creators want it, you know, location scouts and either staff or, or, you know, contractors that um, that you can bring to the table to, so you can really be, I hate to say one-stop shops kind of a, cliche, but you can sort of fill that role. Yes and no. So the best example I, I give to people who, don't really, who who need to kind of really envision what happens here is BOP is is the, the airport, right? So we have the runway, we have the capacity, and then the planes come in. Okay. And the passengers okay. plane and deplane. And so then you have all these support things that go on at the airport. Um, and that's kind of the way the campus is. So we have this BLP as this open platform. Um, we will attract people from around the world. Um, some things we will expertise, we will maintain in-house, um, other expertise will facilitate the growth of additional businesses to support the ecosystem. Okay. That's a, that's actually a really great analogy. Um, thinking about it that way. So have you, um, and I realize, you know, economic impact, projecting economic impact is sort of a back of the envelope um, effort, especially before a project really starts. But um, I'm guessing you've sort of taken a stab at that for the purposes of, you know, trying to get incentives and things like that. Correct. And what and what what do the economic impact will be? You know, in in terms of jobs, um, you know, we're projecting and and just looking at comparable studio developments uh, that have occurred across the country. Um, a studio of this size will take approximately a thousand jobs to support this on a day to day basis. That are direct jobs from the development of the studio. Um, the ancillary jobs that will take to support the entire ecosystem will probably create around the same amount of jobs. So total job creation, um, around $2,000, 2000 jobs when it's at its peak, um, within the next three to five years, um, in terms of dollars, projects coming into the studio, once we're at capacity and we can accommodate 75 to hundred productions a year. Um, the economic impact of that is several hundred million dollars a year, year over year to the economy. That's everything from rental cars to uh, hotel stays, um, you know, restaurants, security, hair, makeup, just any number of um, various uh, industries that are impacted by the studios being located in Memphis. Yeah, I bet it's that's it's going to be transformative. 
um, for the whole region, really, when you think about it. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm talking to Jason Farmer, who's the founder and CEO of BLP Studios. And we're talking about a new um, a new film facility that his company is is um, developing in Whitehaven. So, um, so Jason, the, I'm guessing, I mean, aside from potentially Atlanta, none of these facilities around the country are African-American owned. Correct. So right now, um, Tyler Perry Studios um, is the largest black owned film studio in, in, in the world. Um, his entire campus is on about 335 acres. BLP, this phase of development is 100 acres. We have options on another 85 to 100 acres of land. It'll take us up around 200 acres. Um, there is another facility in Atlanta that's being proposed that's owned by a black woman. Um, I think her facility is around 80, 80 acres. Um there's been a project in Chicago that's about 20 acres that's been in some stage of development for a couple of years now. Um, there's a project in L.A. that's about 15 acres that's a, a black-owned project. Um, and I think there's a project in Philadelphia that may be under development. And then there's one in New Orleans that's about 10 acres. So most of the facilities... And, and in total, um, there are probably 250, 300, produ- 300 production and uh, studio companies throughout the country. Less than 10 are black-owned. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a major differentiator. I mean, first of all, there's just so many content creators, but also people, that's important. That's important to people in the industry. So um, that's going to be... That's also good. It's going to be tremendous. So, um, so what are are you working? I know a project of this type. You've got architect and planning, and are there any part? Are, are the partners you're working with local, and who are they? I just like to, you know, I have a lot of, um, you know, planners and architects on the show, and like to emphasize that piece of the of projects. Yeah. So. Um, Montgomery Martin, General Contractors, uh, we've been working with um, uh, Montgomery's team for about two years now. Um, HBG Design, the the renderings that uh, we've used uh, for the process, they created those designs and we're continuing to work with their team. Uh, All World Project Management. Yeah. Um, Once, you know, they're working in concert with Montgomery Martin. Um, we have uh, Universal Commercial, Daryl Coppins, Coppins and his company. He's been on the show. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Reeves firm is doing the master planning and engineering. Um, um, CBRE will handle some of our um, commercial leasing um, early next year. Um, the local office of CBRE, uh, the Carpenter firm, um, assisting on some of our legal matters. Um, and, and the uh, rebate and incentive process. Uh, we've also um, locally, uh, Mime Studios, not on the construction side, but we're just 
collaborating with David Porter's company, Mime Studios, on some of our recording needs and, and music needs. Um, and so those are some of the companies locally. We also involved with some companies such as MBS, which is an LA-based company uh, that does sound, lighting, grip, the uh, various equipment needs to support the studio, um, and uh, Bastion and a company and Associates, which is a an international soundstage developer um, that's LA-based as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing uh, you need expertise that just isn't available locally on in some of these areas. Correct. Is that there's there are no purposely built sound stages in Memphis. So, um, you know, even with a company, Montgomery Martin um, has previously worked on some sound stages in uh, the Atlanta market, um, and but they were based upon our research, they were the only ones locally that had any experience working on sound stages. Beyond that, Montgomery is just a fantastic guy. We, we've known each other for a number of years and served on the Memphis Symphony Orchestra Board together. And so I was very well aware of his company's level of expertise and also the ability and the willingness to bring in minority firms to subcontract and allow them to also gain um, the expertise in the, in the uh, as this development comes online. So we've been very intentional about the partners that we've reached out to um, the campus itself and the content that comes out of this and the relationships that we have across the uh, the, the media landscape um, one of the primary focuses of the campus is helping to fill the void of DEI um, and so we wanted to make sure that all of our strategic partners um, have that same focus as well. Well, of the of the um, of the local partners you mentioned, it seemed like the majority of those were black owned. So um, that makes sense. You have really have an all star. Um, you've got an all star set of partners there. Um, certainly, like I said, the yeah. local ones. And, and it's a yeah, it's a good mix. You know, they're not uh, Montgomery Martin, HBG, um, the Rees firm, CBRE. Those are not yeah, minority I guess that's firms. I guess that's true. But um but you know, certainly all world and Daryl Cobbins and yeah. Mm-hmm. The So it, it's a mixture and, and this is that was very important um as we brought the process forward. Um, you know, we knew that we couldn't you know, it was never intended to the exclusion of anyone, but we certainly want to make sure that there was an inclusive nature in, in terms of it was already organic. Uh, with the entities that we were uh, that we're working with, and you know, as we continue to move forward, there will be opportunities to work with other uh, other firms and and other uh, skill sets that we'll need. So we'll continue to add on to those strategic partners and and bring that kind of focus and synergy to the team. So um, let's shift gears a little bit and talk more about Whitehaven. So obviously you needed a lot of land, but uh, but setting aside, why why Whitehaven? Why was it important to you to locate there? So first thing, the, the land was not the the impetus for locating in Whitehaven. Um, we happen to be in a very land rich resource area, yep. so we could have literally taken this studio campus to any side of town. Um, what made Whitehaven? Um, the the primary destination for the for the studio campus is uh, 
the convergence of a number of factors. Um, the proximity to the airport, uh, proximity to the interstate system, an infrastructure that was already built up. Um, there are banks, there are hospitals, there are schools. So there are all the intangibles that if you move to some of the other areas of the city, you don't have all of those things already there as a part of the permanent sustainable ecosystem. Also, in terms of trying to attract industry here, um, when you're talking to legacy production companies and legacy streaming companies, and these are multi-billion dollar corporations, um, one of the quiet kept secrets of Whitehaven is that Whitehaven is one of the few areas in the city that houses numerous multi-billion dollar corporations. Yep. FedEx is there. Graceland is there. The airport is Myth there. Myth and Nephew. Um, yeah, people. Myth and Nephew. That is. Sophomore Danik. That's a, that's a, you're right. Most people don't know that, but it's absolutely, it's absolutely true. And our neighbor right down the street, Graceland, has been there for 40 plus years and continue to prosper and you know, one of the that was one of the first conversations we had when we looked at the Whitehaven area was let's go and sit down and talk to the team over at Everspresso Enterprises and say, hey, look, this is an opportunity for you all to kind of anchor the north end of Whitehaven and we'll anchor the south end of Whitehaven as we're in, in closer proximity to to the north end of uh, Mississippi to South Haven. But, yeah, those were those were things that you have a hard time recreating that synergy anywhere else in the city in, in the city. So those were really kind of the key driving points and that helped us to sell the idea and the concept to other entities that we need to draw into the city. Well it seems like an it, it, it seems like a natural location and I just um I mean you're right about all of those corporations, you know, a lot of our a lot of our you know, these multinational corporations that Memphis has are located in Whitehaven. But I feel like a lot of that money doesn't necessarily stay in the community, whereas it seems like you you have the opportunity, your business, you know, uh, it will have, and I don't know, it seems to me like you're going to have a big impact on the on the the economy in, in the Whitehaven area. Yeah, and, and I don't know, Emily, I, I, I beg to differ okay. in terms of, okay. The, the companies, particularly when you look at FedEx, the FedEx, um, the impact not only on Whitehaven, but the entire region is unparalleled. Um, and for it demonstrates to other uh, corporations who may look at Memphis and Whitehaven specifically to say, you know, can I come, can I exist in this community and thrive? And then it's easy for me to point to all of these entities that are already here, that have been here for a number of years, um, you know, just in terms of what the engagement has been around uh, development or how that has uh, has or has not impacted the Whitehaven community. Then that gets into some larger socio-political kind of conversations that may or may not be a direct reflection of the corporations, but, you know, there, there could be other factors that, that kind of drive that. But we were certainly intentional about being there. And, and um, the the potential upside for Whitehaven and keeping a focus on Whitehaven. Yeah, and it wasn't a knock on those companies at all. Just, you know, 
global companies by nature, I mean, if they have their headquarters, this sort of, in my mind, the equivalent of eating at a chain restaurant or eating at a local restaurant, you know, a chain restaurant, you know, most of your money isn't going to stay in in the Memphis area, a local restaurant, a hundred percent. And that's maybe not the best analogy, but that wasn't a knock on the other corporations, just that I just see um, BLP having a, just having a really big impact in Whitehaven, a very positive impact in Whitehaven. So what's the, uh, so what's the, um, I mean, this is a, um, how have the, you know, the the residents, you know, this is a big facility. I used to be on the land use control board myself. And, you know, people worry about traffic. And, of course, um, you know, people have all kinds of reasons to be anxious about big projects. And um, so what what kind of have you, you know, have you done any kind of community engagement? And then what's the what's the response been? Have you encountered any, you know, big positive reactions or worries that you're trying to assuage or anything like that? No. So even prior to launching the the development, um, you know, because I lived in that community, went to school in that community, have deep ties to the community, we went door to door to the neighborhoods that immediately adjacent to the uh, soundstage development. Uh, we went to every business that's immediately located adjacent to the uh, to the development, and we had conversations with them prior to going to the Land Use Control Board. Um, we received numerous letters of support from neighbors, from the business owners. Um, we listened to their concerns. Um, we have a an existing neighborhood on our western border. Um, the Land Use Control uh, regulations actually required us, allowed us to build right up to their fence line. Um, but we went in and we put in an intentional 50-foot setback so that they'll continue to see the 30- and 40-foot trees that are in their backyard. Once this development is fully developed, they'll still see 40- and 50-foot trees in their backyard. Um, so the the traffic, we were intentional not to route traffic through the existing neighborhoods. Um, the only traffic that will come through there will be emergency traffic. If there's need for a fire emergency or a police emergency, um, those gates on the west side of the property are only for emergency access. Um, the traffic routed off of Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley is already a major uh, traffic thoroughfare, so we made sure to put the frontage of the property onto, Elvis, onto the Elvis Presley side of the property, again, to be sensitive to traffic concerns um, and just make the the uh, as little impact on the existing residents as possible. Uh, we've continued to engage the residents uh, throughout the process and uh, we'll continue to receive support from the residents and they look forward to what's going on with the development and um, we will be a responsible corporate neighbor uh, to the residents and business owners there. So are the, um, well, most of the jobs, there's a, you're, you're talking about creating a lot of jobs will those mostly be skilled jobs or will there be will there do you think there'll be any opportunities for um for people in Whitehaven of course Pete you're gonna have to draw from all over but will any be any opportunities for people in Whitehaven to secure jobs do you think at BLP if they want to most of those jobs are skilled jobs the just through the nature of the industry and we're working in close concert with uh, Memphis Shelby County Schools. 
uh, with Lamorne Owen College, Southwest Community College, University of Memphis, to create uh, synergy so students from the high school level are able to get exposure to the campus and the types of jobs that it takes to support the campus. We've talked with the Memphis, uh, the Black Business Association, with um, the uh, Workforce Development Office to look at workforce grants that are available should someone um, have a skill set or desire to work in a capacity at the studio, uh, that there's funding out there that will facilitate them being able to receive training and apply for those jobs. So we are certainly hopeful that uh, because of the close proximity of there are three there are three high schools in the Whitehaven area, Whitehaven High School, Fairley, and Hillcrest. Um, Southwest Community College already has a campus there. Um, Lamorne Owen College has expressed some interest in a satellite location being on the uh, studio property itself. Uh, also the University of Memphis. So we are giving residents and non-residents alike the ability and the opportunity to receive training to fulfill the jobs at the studio campus, both skilled and unskilled. Um, in terms of productions coming here, uh, production companies and, and, and streaming platforms is much more cost effective if they can hire locally versus bringing people in to uh, fill positions here. So the ideal situation is that the, the residents, not only in Whitehaven, but across the metropolitan Memphis area will fill the bulk of those jobs. Um, both skilled and unskilled. That's great. And I think one of the sort of ancillary benefits I see is just that, um, you know, more work for people that are in the business. I'm sure you know that if people, if you're like a camera operator, you know, it's hard to live in Memphis because, you know, these giant productions helicopter in every couple of years, but most of the work is not in Memphis. And so, so it kind of is between a rock and a hard place, but this facility with all of the, there'll be just more work for the, not only training new camera operators, but more work for the people we have here who want to make Memphis their home, but have a hard time making a living here. Again, one of, one of the taglines we have is Memphis based with a global reach. Uh, and you're exactly right for the residents here that have kind of lived a nomadic lifestyle. If you want to work in the industry, um, because there have not, there has not previously been sustainable, work here in Memphis, um, when the studio's online, it will certainly give them the opportunity to be much more stable if they elect to um, operate locally out of Memphis. They'll, they'll have the opportunity to be here much more often and, and not have to follow projects around the country or around the world. Yep. I imagine some of the younger people will still do that. Uh, well, sure. It's an exciting opportunity to get to go work in, 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 you know, various locations around the world and, and work with different entities. And, and so, you know, but yeah, you will be able to maintain a base of operations out of Memphis that previously has not existed. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. I've been talking to Jason Farmer from BLP Studios about an exciting project that's happening at Whitehaven, big film production facility. It's going to be really one of the biggest in the country. And uh, I'm, as you can tell, I'm super excited about it. So, um, so Jason, th- thank you so much for coming on the program and talk, telling us all about your, your project. Thank you.
This is Clark Ward Keys, co-founder at Crosstown Brewing Company. We are proud to be WYXR's official beer sponsor for 2022. Memphis music deserves Memphis beer. Working with the WYXR team has been an awesome way to support local community radio and foster a deeper connection with music while doing it. Our Instagram and Facebook pages feature all the updates regarding CBC and WYXR's frequent collaborations. Enjoy following along. listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy.